Yes sir, yes sir, yes sir. What's going on people? It's your boy Cats here. Once again with the Say Less Podcast. Welcome back as a part of Whistle Sports and Brother Networks. Thank you all for subscribing. Thank you all for tuning in, whether you're on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever. I appreciate you. Today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at Truly Hard Seltzer. It's light and refreshing, so say goodbye to that beer belly and the two sugary cocktails because Truly Hard Seltzer has 13 refreshing flavors. I go with the lemonade myself, but to each their own. So it's 5% alcohol, and that won't weigh you down. So it's time to drink what you truly want. Shout out to the good folks at Truly Hard Seltzer for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode, we got an absolute legend. Legend talk today. One of the greatest to ever do it out of H-Town, Mr. Paul Wall. Um, I've been wanting to have this conversation for a long, long time, uh, especially in, in light of the death of uh, George Floyd and a lot of the racial unrest that has been taking over uh, our country and everything that's been going on there. But um, Paul Wall's always been one of my favorite MCs, one of my favorite casts to listen to. I uh, grew up on, you know, the People's Champ and still tipping and, you know, just countless, countless H-Town records because Houston is, and I always say this to anybody who asks me, outside of New York and Toronto, uh, well, not really Toronto, but outside of New York, Houston's always been my favorite city uh, in America because it's just a city that, that speaks to me, you know what I mean? Whether it's the style, the food, the partying, um, everything about Houston's always been so lit. So I'm really, really uh, honored to have Paul Wall on the show today. It's a, it's a great episode. It's a long episode. We talk in depth about everything. We talk about his history. We talk about... Um, you know, just making his new album with Lil Kiki, one of his idols, an icon as well in the Houston music scene. Um, we talk at length about uh, George Floyd's death and, and how he's been in Houston uh, helping with the protesters and the people on the front lines and putting the money, his money where his mouth is. And especially as, as you know, as Paul Wall's grown up and as a, as a white rapper and just race relations that he's always kind of been through in, in Houston, Texas and and in in the in this country and being a southerner he offers a extremely um extremely rare but very poignant uh perspective on where he sees race and you know i think a lot of people should listen to this episode especially if you're a little confused on how you feel like you can be an ally how you can help out how you can um you know just be more of a person that that is uh for for the for the for the freedom of people for the love of people and anybody who knows Paul Wall knows that he's a guy who just loves people. And, you know, he's someone who I can't find a lot of people to say a bad thing about. So I'm really excited to have him on the show. Hope you enjoy it. Emilio, you know what to do. Hit the motherfucking music. got the legendary legendary and i'm telling you man houston texas is one of my favorite cities in the entire world and i'll tell you right now the city would not be where it is if it wasn't for this legend that i got on the show today so i'm a i'm a i'm a proposal toast to you mr paul wall the people's champ you got you got the joint 
I got yes, my, <laughs> my man, thank you so much for joining us on Say Less with Kaz, man. Sponsored by Truly Hard Seltzer. Uh, Paul, you've been, man, when it comes to the, to the Houston music scene, especially in my years, I went to, I went to college around like 2004, 2005. So like you, you the soundtrack to a lot of my good times, man. So but before, before we talk about everything going on right now in the world and everything going on with the new music, take me back to those days with, with, with still tipping and sitting sideways when Houston was literally the cultural center for, 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 for hip hop music. It's still kind of, it's, I would say kind of. Still is. Still is. No, I mean, I was going to say it's kind of unbelievable, but I was going to say it's still, it's not even kind of, it's extremely unbelievable to me that, one, I was able to be a part of it, and two, that even Houston would be accepted like that because I grew up in an era where the South as a whole was kind of, I don't want to say neglected, but it was a second secondary thought in right. the world of hip-hop unless it was your particular style that you grew up, uh, uh, introduced to hip-hop or that you made hip-hop, you know, or you was a fan of it. But just in terms of the mainstream hip-hop industry, the South as a, just in general, was a second thought. And Houston was a 100th thought, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, being that we were so far away from the East Coast and the West Coast, and then even amongst the South, we were on the perimeter. You know what I'm saying? We were on the edge of the South where some people didn't even consider us the South. They consider us the Midwest or, or the Southwest or, you know, what are we? Are we our, the third coast, our own region <laughs> or, or what? Um, but we were so far away from Atlanta, so far away from Florida, uh, you know, and, and even other areas like Memphis where they had, you know, a lot of artists and a lot of movement. Now, we did have connections like Suave House in Houston putting out, you know, uh, A-Ball, MJG, they were from Memphis. Right. Also, other things had the like, Ghetto Boys, had, yeah, had right, Scarface. Right, yeah. right, mm-hmm. right. And a uh, big shout-out to uh, rapper like Jay Prince. He kind of gave us the city, the, the blueprint of not only, you know, can I do this, but you can do it too. And this mm-hmm. is how you do it. Uh, he, he showed us that all from the from Jump Street. But even in there were people like uh, Luke, who put out the R&B group H-Town. They were from Houston knocking the boots, all of that. Yep. So, big deal for Houston just to have representation on that level. Uh, or even just in the South, on uh, the group Next, uh, uh, coming from Dallas, uh, High Five coming from Dallas area. Those are two groups that where we saw Texas representation. Even with DLC, going back, when we saw DLC with Dr. Drake, DLC being from Dallas, uh, although, you know, at the time there, there weren't many rappers from Dallas. So, you know, right. really like, a lot of times wasn't considered from Dallas, but he was. To us, he was an inspiration, you know. Uh, so to all of that, even in, growing up in the era of saying that, man, we were coming up uh, in, the, in the rap community. Like all of us from our era, we were told by our big brothers, hey, man, watch out when you go to the East Coast. They might boo you. Watch <laughs> out when you go here or there or whatever. You know, they're, they're, they don't, they're not as accepted. Yeah, I, f- I, feel like, I feel like Southern rappers and, and Southern rap fans have held on to that forever. Like, it's been like the proverbial chip on their shoulder. If you, if you yeah. watch T.I. right now, T.I.'s on, on Instagram, Challenge of 50 Cent, still to this day. Hey, bro, you are 100% correct. <laughs> That was instilled in us coming up. But I got to say, from the first time I ever went anywhere on the East Coast. Yeah. Anywhere. When I went to D.C. for the Million Family March, when I went to, <coughs> excuse me, when I went to New York 
for our first time, me and Chameleon there trying to get our, our record deal out there. We're paid in full. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any, any time I ever went anywhere on the East Coast, I only received love. I don't have one negative experience of any kind, but it was instilled in me. Hey, man, when you go out there, you might get moved. You know, so it, and, and when I talk to my, like, the younger generations that, that came after me, yeah. I, you know, it's been a, I don't want to, like, instill what was instilled in me, and then they got a grudge and chip on their shoulder because right. it wasn't like that for me. And then even then when I had those conversations, I get corrected a lot of time by younger artists that are like, hey, it ain't like that for me. And I got to really <laughs> think, you know what? It wasn't like that for me either. It really wasn't. Like, it was, You're absolutely right, bro. I've always talked about that. I, I used to work at the Source magazine, right? Like, that was, that, that was my first big break. I was an editor there for about four years. And watching that Source Awards was literally like going to – it was it was like required reading. You know what right. I mean? Like, when you joined the company, like, you watch those awards, you remember. And then, you know, you start going back. And it wasn't so much like – well, to me, in my in my estimation, yeah, there was always it was it wasn't so much like the South was whack. It was just that New Yorkers just had so much pride about themselves. Right, like, right. yo, like if it, if it ain't if it ain't from Brooklyn, if it ain't from right. Harlem, if it ain't, right. you know, what I mean, we just had so much pride about ourselves. Yeah. And then that just turned into a whole nother thing. Like all these years later, because if you was dope. It didn't matter where you was from, like, especially, right, right, right. you know, but it's easy to say now because the South the South has been running shit for a long time, but that, there's no, there's but no mistake. Even here, bro, it, was, it was unbelievable that, because yeah. I was, I, it's, it's like always being told, you ain't going to be shit. You ain't going to be shit. You'll <laughs> never be shit. And then I was in your success because, you know, and we weren't told that we ain't shit. We ain't going to be shit. We were just told, hey, they, you ain't. They going to boo you. But, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and so that was the, the perception is that, oh, they're not going to have love for me. So it's just, it was just unbelievable to get a deal and get accepted to, you know, to fuck with uh, Dipset, uh, <laughs> for them to bring me out on stage at the Summer Jam, those type of things. Like, well, I was fucking with Dipset hard. Bro, Anytime- I, was, I was at that Summer Jam. I remember that Summer Jam that y'all came out and, and Dipset brought out everybody. Anybody who had anything hot that summer, yeah. Dipset yeah. brought out. And I remember y'all came out and... It's weird because when you go to high school, you know, Summer Jam is literally like the your only content experience, right? So when I got there and I thought like I was the only one, not the only one, but I didn't know, I didn't know how big, you know what I mean, still tipping and, and these records were until it hit in, in MetLife Stadium. And I was like, yo, yeah. they, they hey, here. <laughs> trust me when I take, because we performed, I performed with Dipset a couple times at a few different venues around New York. And anytime I did it, I got love. Mm-hmm. But, okay, keep in mind, too, you know, the perspective I have from Houston, all right, it's a cultural chip on our shoulder where it's across the entire culture from Houston. Right. Now, you get, you get exceptions here and there, but the culture in Houston has been when someone comes from out of town, man, I don't want, man, I ain't no dick rider. I love this person, but I ain't, I'm not going to let them know that. So, you know, the, the first time Young Dolph, right, he's somebody who I fuck with tough, you know, I, when he was first, first coming up, yeah. I, became a, I was an early fan of his and kind of champion around my area. Man, y'all heard of Dolph? Y'all heard of Dolph? Just, you know, trying to get people to get on him because he's just dope. Yeah. Uh, and I told him, hey, man, you ever did a show in Houston? He was like, nah. I said, man, look, I want to be the first one to bring you to do a show in Houston. I brought him to a show on my birthday, and I had to tell him, say, man, I'm just going to give you a little – Pre-game pep talk, look, this is just our city. 
Trust me when I tell you, every single person in that crowd, they here for you, not for me. It's my birthday, <laughs> but they're not here for me. They're here for you. Yeah. But they're going to be mean mugging you. They're not going to put their hands up. You know, there might be one song or something you say, and you just see them mouth the words and throw their hood up. But for the most part, they're going to catch themselves and be like, no, nah, no, nah, I ain't no dick right on <laughs> But if you catch any one of them in the parking lot or walk through the crowd and see them, they're going to be like, hey, Dolph, what's up, man? I'm fuck with you. You know what I'm saying? So the yeah. love there. But it's also like, hey, look, we ain't no dick riders now. It's earned, not given. It's earned, right. not given. Right, Absolutely. right. So that's the, so when I would go to New York, I understand that. Like, so if I walked out to a crowd and everybody mean mugging me, it don't necessarily throw me off because this is the same results I might get at my own concert in Houston. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. and it could be sold out. You know, and I'm the only performer. You know, but it's just that's just the mentality and perception a little bit. Uh, but like, anyway, man, any concert I did with Dipset, man, I got a number love. So, but even then, Summer Jam a little different. You know what I'm saying? Summer so Jam, now, I always says Summer Jam's like the WrestleMania hip hop, hip hop, yes, right? Yes, like, it's yes. everybody comes out and back then, you know, early 2000s, wasn't a lot of rap being played at stadiums, at football right, stadiums. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, if you had a Summer Jam moment, like that, that carries you. That's big. Yeah. It's like, oh, he brought such and such out to Summer Jam. We're talking about that for the next. Yeah. Four, five, ten years now, right? But but when we was there, though, I remember having uh, the the feeling of anxiety a little bit. Like, man, what if what if somebody out there they they like strategically placed just to boo us, like, <laughs> you know, or just just you know, just for my own possessions of being told, hey, you're going to get booed in New York. You're going to get booed in New York. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, had it, I still had anxiety coming out there like, damn, shit. Even though I, I had experiences that were positive. Yeah. You know, it's just unbelievable to me. Well, you know, you know what I've always noticed about Southern rappers, and I've always said, you know, anybody in New York, the reason why it took a while for New York to get back to what it was is because there's so much unity in the South, right? Like, the first time we heard you, we heard Mike Jones, we heard Slim Thug, we heard Zero, we heard Lil' Kiki. Like, anytime we heard one of y'all and, and the song was popping, there was three, four, five other dope dudes from Houston that were either on the same record or on the remix, or, or something like that, right? It wasn't a whole lot of that in, in New York. How much do you equate just Southern unity, and I guess like that sort of Southern hospitality, to the rise of, of the Houston, Texas sound, and the success you guys had? Man, um, it's kind of weird, man. It's like a it's, a, a, it's a deep dynamic to it. So it's like, I personally would say that that's a misconception. Mm. or uh, misperception, or I don't know what the correct... As far, as far as unity is concerned? Yeah. Okay. And I'd say there's unity everywhere to some extent, and there are things in the South that united us. In the South, one of the main things in the South that united I remember coming up, and we'd see other people from anywhere in the South, you know, Atlanta, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, any part of the South, mm. uh, and we, it would be, a, oh, what's up? Hey, we from the South, still together. So there would be that type of love, because it was kind of like the East Coast, West Coast, and the South. Now it, you know, and then, then from and for the longest, the Midwest never was even mentioned. Like if you right. was in the Midwest, you just got either grouped with the usually with the East Coast, mm-hmm. and if you was in the Midwest close to the South, maybe you might would be Southern, uh, or if you was from the Midwest and like had like Kansas City is a unique place where there, you know, there's a if you're in Kansas City, they they love the bait music. They also right. love certain South music. But they're Midwest to the core. Like this is you know, a- I, that's funny you bring that up because I, I kind of I get the same vibe from like Detroit. 
Like the right, short music right. sounds very much right. like the Bay music. Right, but right. They got right. lyricists and they got right. Midwestern Chicago dudes. Like, right. yeah, that whole Midwest thing is it's it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a gumbo of hip hop sounds in there. <laughs> I see like the, tr- the the transition like with the South where it was East, and then it was East West, then it was East West South, then it was East West South Midwest, then it was East West South Midwest Global. You yes. know, um, but it's. A, the same is deja vu. Is you see the same circumstances, the same things. Where it's if you're from the south, you thought of as you ain't got no skills, you know, they, you know. Uh, and then eventually, then there's a lot of lyricists, and they oh, there are dope MCs. Same thing with the Midwest. People from the Midwest, it was like a pejorative term to say you was from the or for someone to say you. From, it wasn't like you know, and I I didn't see that you know because right. I people I listened to from the Midwest, I was fans of. Uh, they were dope to me. I, and I didn't think of them as being secondary because of where they was from. But until somebody blew up from there, like Nelly or somebody, you know, then it was all of a sudden, oh, they got dope MCs too. Oh, they got, you know, everything is dope. Yeah. Production, MCs, artwork, videos, fashion, any aspect of hip hop, they got the dopeness as well. And it will be, it was a pride thing. And then it's a, uh, a, a trend where everybody trying to leech on, hey, we down with the Midwest because they want to get shows <laughs> in the Midwest, you know, yeah. so they try to act like they down with it, but, you know, and, and for the longest, people would shy away from it, and it was the same things with the South, same with the globe, like, I see this all the time in Texas with a lot of my Spanish-speaking uh, 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 partners in the rap game, where they, right. a lot of them from come from Mexico or South America, where for the longest, they would be, like, shunned. But now it's a pride thing and it's a unity thing, and now it's its own branch of the hip hop tree. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's dope as a fan to see it, to see the growth and to see the uh, people accepting of it. But for the the unity in the South, man, I, I can't speak on everybody, but I can speak on like on our uh, a rise to fame and everything. You know, the the Texas movement or the the Houston move, without any however you want to term it. Yeah, it definitely was a sense of unity. But there was a lot of beef, a lot of turmoil, <laughs> jealousy, hate, salt dropping throughout uh, from everybody. So uh, I'm, I'm not saying that didn't exist. I mean, I, I remember, I remember a lot of a lot of the, the the quarrels that happened between certain rappers. But as far- a lot of it though would be like we would hold back because we one we had certain people we respected like our big bros like Pimp C, Jay Prince, who would call us out and who also would be like Jay Prince was adamant about if you got a problem with somebody go fight him in the boxing ring at my gym don't talk mm. about him in interviews don't talk about him on the radio don't sneak this on and then be friends with him when you see him if you got a problem with anybody no matter what it is you can settle it right now yeah at any point it's private public however you want to do it but so that was like always instilled in all of us from our generation so when it came to like interviews and things you might hear here and there something but for the most part I might hold back my true feelings about another artist because I'm not going to publicly down talk them because I know the importance of us, the unity. So there was right. that sense of unity, but at the end of the day, it was a lot of jealousy and beef. And it was, this is something that's it's so crazy to me, being somebody that travels around a lot. In Houston, every day someone comes up to us and say, me, they come up to me and say this, they say it publicly, they go to Slim Thug, they go to Zero, they go to Trader Troop, they go to Kameen or Mike Jones, anybody who was from our generation of rap. And they'll yeah. say, how come we don't get along in Houston, but everybody in Atlanta get along? 
<laughs> How come we don't get along, but everybody in Florida get along? How come we don't get along, but everybody here, 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 here get along? Yeah. Everybody in New York get along, but as you know, everybody in New York do not get everybody, along. I was about to say, that's that that might be a bit of an over-exaggeration. <laughs> the flip side, when I go to New York, when I go to Atlanta, when I go to Florida, when I go to any other region or area or city, they always tell me the same thing. How come we can't get along how y'all do in Houston? Mm. And I'm just like, damn, can I get you on the phone with my people in Houston? <laughs> they swear we can't get along. And you swear we get like, oh, man. So I don't know, man. It's like. So it's- I got to ask you, did you did you ever, I'm not going to put out no names because I'm not messy. Did you ever get into that boxing ring and Jay Prince's boxing ring and have to settle some stuff? Oh, uh, no, I did not. Um, I mean, I'd never been one to side from any fight, and I'm not scared even if I – if I, I always felt like if you can beat me up, you can only beat me up if I got it coming to me. Right, right, so right, right, right. I, You know, so I just felt like I, I never really had to do that. I never wanted to take it there. Sometimes you can't, you know, and this is something like – I don't know, I just – no, I never had to uh, – you know, I – if I did something to deserve an ass whooping and somebody <laughs> called me out or a period, if somebody called me out to step in the ring for something, you know, not unless it's just, I just want to be famous and fight power out, you know, but if I did something to deserve something, like if I did something disrespectful or something, Hey man, I'm not going to run for no fight period. Yeah. But nah, nah, I never did, man. Um, but you know, Hey, that, I don't know how many there have been. Cause for the most part, most beefs all stem from pettiness. You know what yes. I'm saying? Most part, not all the times, but most of them stem from pettiness and jealousy. It's uh, funny. It's funny how quick people are ready to talk things out once the physical aspect has been brought up, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. It's like, oh, I'll, I'll fight you. Like, yo, if you really don't like this person, you could talk it out. You could, you could figure out what it was, or, or say what you got to say, or whatever. Or you could settle it this way. And a lot of people would rather not do that. People rather, and at the end of the day, once you once you say it to yourself, like once you like, okay, I'm gonna go and box this person. I'm gonna fight this person for what? Then you think about how petty it is, and then you finally talk, and then it's like, all right, all right, all right. This wasn't this wasn't so bad. Um, man, so you just dropped the album with Lil Kiki called uh, Slab Talk, and you know, uh, for folks who may not be familiar exactly what the slab is, that's. Correct me if I'm getting the anagram right. That's slow, loud, and banging. Correct. Um. Well, that is, but that's not really where it originated. That's something that, that kind of came later. Like, let's fill in the words. Okay. So, where, where did it originate from? Is, 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 it, is it over the bacon? Is it over food? Like, is it like what, 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 How did that become synonymous with Houston culture? I, I for sure give you my definition. Now, if you ask Lil Kiki, he might tell you something. He probably will tell you something slightly different because mm-hmm. whatever I got, I got from him. You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but uh, as most of the Houston culture, he originate personally originated a lot of it. You know, including a lot of the car culture. He had a big hand in a lot of that. Um, but the slab is something that represents, you know, in the background of my zone. One one aspect of it is the concrete, you know, the, mm. the blacktop, the parking lot, the slab. Okay, uh, you know, if you, if you ten toes down on the slab, I mean, both your feet are on on concrete. You're not backstepping or backpedaling. You solid with it. Now, there's other meanings of the slab. Some of it go to the hustling, uh, you know, the dope years, you know, hitting the hitting the freeway, going from state to state, uh, but the term slab today, what it generally means, is a reference to a car, a type of car. Right. Now, this particular style of car that's in my background, you it stemmed from a Cadillac with the 80, 1984 Krager 
rims with vol tires and other various things. Uh, that's why we call them 84s to this day. Now, the ones I got in my car are the 2020 editions. So, you know, they've evolved throughout the years, just like the Cadillacs have. Um, but that particular car was like a, 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 a trophy, a hood yeah. trophy yeah. to a lot of the go-getters who was on the slab. So that's kind of where the term got associated with the car. Um, and there's a checklist, kind of, uh, there's a, a basic tentative checklist of what constitutes a slab, one being the candy paint, one being the type of car, usually mm-hmm. American-made like a Cadillac or a, a, a Buick or Lincoln or something or that. But there are a lot of people that tell you Buick ain't a slab, so I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, but to me, that, to me, that's what, you know, also there's different styles, you know, the rims, the 84s. Right, right, right. The Vogue tires, because you cannot have those rims without the Vogue tires. That that's never been, that's not uh that's not viable in the slab community. <laughs> uh, then other things like the, the the front mesh grill on the car, you know, a lot of the older cars we put the the woman ornament on the front or the yep. various ornaments on the front. Also the 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 back on the trunk, you know, you, we usually put a fifth wheel with a pump that'll actuate and, and uh fall down, and uh the trunk will lift up on a switch with a active with a uh, actuator pump, and uh, it'll you, we put neon lights in the trunk. With our, we got our speakers done. We got our insides customized. We put TVs in our car. These, these are all things that were done kind of pre-pimp my ride. I was about to say, give me, give me, give me a quick estimate on just how much. You know, for example, the car in your background. Give me an estimate on how much it would cost to, to completely trick it out, to really fill it up with everything that you just mentioned. Well, the car itself, it being the president, uh, the, the uh, what you call it, edition, uh, the platinum edition Cadillac, it was about in itself was about seventy thousand. But a lot of people who made their own slabs, they took whatever they had and made a slab out of it. Slab out of it. You <laughs> feel me? So they didn't necessarily like now the true slab rider like Corey Blunt, yeah. you know, Kiki, Big Sport, Big Mix, So Baldy, all my my old now they would say their money up and do it the right way. But a lot of people that followed, me being one, you know, you get what you can afford. You know what I'm saying? So, a lot of people didn't start off with a good base model car. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm doing good. So I I'm got, about to say, like, that's a good word regardless. Like, yeah. <laughs> Look, Kiki will be quick to call anybody out. Uh-uh-uh-uh. Go sell your car, start off with a better car. No matter what, you know, if, it's, if you're starting off whack, you can call you out. But, you know, anyway, there are other aspects to it, too. Like, that's what I would consider slab. Now, there are, like, now there's a lot of people who have foreign slabs where it might okay. be this BMW or Benz, and they do the same thing with it. I was about to say, is there is is, is there any sort of, uh, I guess, the right word I'd be looking for is, uh, is, is it not as authentic if it's a foreign car? Like, do you kind of look at it like it's, uh, it's all right, but it's not, like, American-made? Like, what, what what's... Man. It's if a, I pulled up in a, in a foreign in a, in a foreign slab, like if I pulled up in the in the Benz with with yes. spokes on an eighty four, so am I gonna get laughed at? Like how, how am I gonna look? Man, you know what? I'm gonna be completely honest. It just depends on who you ask. But that being said, my rims in the back, okay, they called outlaws in twenty fifteens. Now take this in mind. It's all it's beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So a slab is in the eye of the beholder. So there's people that tell me every day. Your wheels stick out too far. But these not the farthest. These are like mid-sized. 
Yeah. I got people every day, every day, more than telling me they stay out too far. I got people telling me they don't stay out far enough. <laughs> so, you know, it's just depending on who you ask. You know what I'm saying? I got people that love my car. I got the new, I, I wrap my car. My boy mm. Jay, the rap specialist, wrap my car. So mm. I got the 2020 new style. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't candy paint this. I didn't have to because I didn't need no body work done to it. Right, I put right. wrap on it to chrome wrap something new. I wanted to do something new to it. Just like I got the, the front camera in the front and on the side mirrors. And on the back, you know, I got all type of 2020 editions, you know, that, that weren't around in 1984 due to technology. I got massage seats, TV, navigation, two, two sunroofs, you know, uh, curtains, all kind of things that weren't around in 1984. So there are people that tell me my car ain't a slab because it's not authentic to the original car. But when I asked little Kiki, he tell me we was driving those cars in those years because that was the new edition car. Right, As right. the new editions came out, that's what we was driving. Right, right. So that's, right. you know, but there are, but it's just different. There's an old school slab. I got a new school slab. There's a foreign slab. There's trucks and like uh, Escalades, Yukon, stuff like that, and vans that are slabs. And there are people, there's an there's a, uh, Instagram page anybody want to laugh go to called Slab Police. And they basically, <laughs> they basically call people out for breaking the slab code. You know, but it's just in the eye of the beholder because my OG Sport, he had a van and he had it slabbed out. And that was the cleanest thing I ever seen. Zero had a van that was slabbed out a few times. And that thing is clean. It will hold up to anybody. You know, definitely, he's shitting on my car. But, you know, <laughs> some people say, oh, it's a van. It's not all this or that. Nah, that, that don't, I mean, it's just in the eye of the beholder. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I appreciate rather than, you know, nah, it ain't good enough for this or that. You know, rather than criticize, I appreciate. But yeah. the criticism is there from every angle, no, no matter what you do to your car. Man, we, Snoop Dogg, I, I did a, I got a, a 1977 Cadillac Eldorado, right? And I got it, uh, it's on the cover of one of my CDs called No Sleep Till Houston. It, it's matte black. It's painted matte black. Now, Snoop Dogg saw it, was like, I like what you did to your car. I got that same car. I want you to do that. To my car, can you slab out one of my cars? Bet, man, of course, of course. <laughs> you see the car, we candy burbled it, which is a mix of blue and purple. We put, uh, you know, R.I.P. Nate Dog in the trunk and R.I.P. Uh, to his uncle. And we we did that thing completely custom. That thing is, the man, the cleanest, man, oh my. Definitely shitting, it's, he's shitting on my car. It's Snoop Dogg. But I got my home, a couple of my homeboys that ride red, they like, Nah, that's garbage. Why is it garbage? Because <laughs> he blue. It got to be red. Oh, so, boy. There's that type of mentality, too, of if you ain't my color, you whack, no matter what color you are. And if you my color, then it's the greatest thing on earth, no matter how much care, thought, money, and appreciation you put into your slab. I feel like so, if anybody could get away with blue instead of red, it should that's be That's what I'm blue. saying. Well, <laughs> <laughs> man, I ain't for the candy red no call for Snoop Dogg. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You know, but that just show you the mind frame of the, the how it's territorial. You know, it's kind of right. some of it is neighborhoodish too. You know, there's you know there's a diff, there's a Southwest Red Line, there's the South Side Red Line, there's the Fourth Ward Red Line, the Acres Home Red Line is you know the, the the Green Line for the most part mostly came from Fifth Ward. The Teal Line mostly for the most part was from the North Side, Northeast Homestead area. So there's different type of things, but. There's teal cars from all over. There's blue cars from all over, red cars from all over, you know, black cars all over. So it's, it's not necessarily territorial, but it, 
you know, it's just, hey, man, let me just, a slab is in the eye of the beholder. It's all about making it unique to yourself. So, I mean, there's things that I would constitute a slab, but, you know, like the rims, Texan wire wheels, but there is a huge population of people who got blades, choppers, mm. you know, the, the, the three-pronged rim, the blades on their car, and they just as equally consider that a slab. So, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's all in the eye of the, the, eye of the beholder. You know what I'm saying? Make your slab unique right. to you. And as long as it's unique to you, then it's, to me, it's a slab, I guess, you know. Now, I, I, I said this early in the interview, but I, I always say Houston's one of my favorite cities because it speaks to, like, every one of my guilty pleasures, right? So, like, every time I've gone to Houston, when you're at the club, the party don't get turned up when the music goes fast. It gets turned up when the music slow down, which is just my speed, right? And then after the party, you know what I mean? You got all the cars outside. You got the barbecue going. You got all the women out there. You got all the men in the whips. And, like, there's so much culture when it comes to, like, nightclubs in Houston and just from the music to the food to the cars, everything. With this virus that's going on right now and the craziness that the world's going to, and we'll, and we'll speak to the, to the social unrest as well in a little bit, but just how, in your, in your estimation, things you've seen so far, how has like that culture really changed in the past like four or five months, knowing that you got a social distance, knowing that like, you know, clubs might or may not be open and live performances may or may not be happening. Like what's the, the culture of, te- of Texas and especially Houston is so ingrained in these clubs and being outdoors in your eyes, how much of that has changed in the past couple of months? It's definitely been a shift, you know what I'm saying, of dealing with it. The, the, I think the mind frame the onset uh, from the onset of it has been, it's going to pass and we're going to go back to normal. Right. Not it's going to pass and we're going to have to adjust from here on out for forever, but it's going to pass and then we'll go back to normal. So we'll wait it out. And when we go back to normal, it will be as if it never occurred. Mm-hmm. The virus, coronavirus. So I think as time has went on, there's also just been a, a sense of who do you believe? Because from the top, the president doesn't wear a mask, and you know, and then there's just different messaging from the CDC, and then people are just ready to make money because it's hard to pay bills. So many people have been fired or lost their jobs, right, and right. they can't put food on the table. You know, so many birthdays have passed that you can't celebrate, and you just feel like it just builds up in you. The tension builds up in you. So some of these things have. Uh, you know, it's been a, 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 to deal with it or just to where do we go? How is it going to affect things? You know, like I say, because it still isn't over. So we don't know yeah. the beginning stages of it or the ending stages or middle or what. They, you know, they're so ready to get back to normal. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, pass it, pass. And then, of course, we see the results of that. Uh, but even with the results, it's been inclining in Texas daily. Every yeah, day yeah. is more cases than it was the day before. So it's like, damn. I don't, you know, you can only guess that they're going to shut it down again, like, and force us to shut down. Yeah, you're going to have to do it like like we did up here in New York and New Jersey, man. Like, for a couple weeks, that was just nothing. Like, nothing. You're not even going outside. Like, at 8 o'clock, they had curfew. Like, wow, wow, wow. But the the culture, I, I think about it as an artist, right? When we used to, when we, okay, just how you, how, how, okay, as a fan and as an artist, as a fan, how do you listen and receive your music? Mm-hmm. So just seeing the, the times change, you know, how did you used to listen to your music on the radio? That was the only way. On a, a vinyl, 
that was the only way to a cassette, to a CD, to a download, to a stream, to, you know, all of these other things. So listening to it in your ear to, you know, so when I was growing up, how I would listen to music was we went in our cars because Houston was spread out geographically. Yeah. You got, you might have an hour ride there and an hour ride back. You better get you some tunes. <laughs> you were breaking your car just to steal your CD case. <laughs> You'd be heartbroken when they steal your CD case like, as, you know, like, Somebody got shot or something, you know, for <laughs> real. Um, so that was how we used to receive our music, listen to our music. And then as an artist, that's how I would create the music for that. It's mostly parking lot music, car music. And then things kind of shifted and turned more to club, strip club music. Mm-hmm. And then everybody make music, you know, whether it's, you know, music this with, with a lot of bass drops, you know, or, or it's tempoed based so that girls can shake their ass to it or the song subject topic matter has different references or things so that a girl will want to shake their ass to it or somebody will want to throw their money to it and tip to it so that you know you just see how they, how music was made and received then it, you know there's the huge workout uh, uh trainers how they you know everybody working out you know how do you listen to music when you work out all the trainers this is my trainer workout list playlist all of that that's yeah. another aspect of it you know then there's still the car aspect of it. Then there's, you know, other things where you might listen to it on your headphones. You know, and uh, I would equate it in my mind, although I wasn't there, but I would equate it in my mind to New York on a subway, listening to hip hop on your headphones. There you go. Uh, you're now listening to music on your earbuds. You know, uh, where in Houston, we might have rode the bus, but we didn't have subways and things like that. We we had headphones and things like that, but we mostly made music for the car. So there were aspects there had to be elements that had to be their heavy bass, you know, a certain clarity of it, a certain type of whatever, you know, that, that you would want to listen to it in your car because it sounded good for the car. But those same type of sounds didn't always sound good on the wall, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And vice versa. So, you know, just how music would be made. So now how music would be made at restaurants, lounges, all these type of things, if sporting, you know. So that's how music is made now to be listened to and enjoyed now. You know, and so now there is none of that. It's okay, well, shit. If I'm making music and releasing it, a lot of the music I might have made previously, it's meant to be released for you to listen to it in your car. Right. But if you can't go in your car, then it's pointless. You know, it doesn't really, you know, it served a purpose. And you're not going to receive it how it was intended to be received because you're not in your car. So all of you know, it's for sure, the dynamic is crazy right now because it ain't no, it's going, it's some people going out. but just in general as a culture it's just all on pause so it's just how's it going man no one knows how it's going to change is it going to be limited seating is it going to be what we just still in the middle or we could be I I, I still don't know how we're going to do if they're going to have concerts like I know they've had virtual I know Travis Scott had his Fortnite concert and they've been like low virtual concerts here but it ain't the same you know what I mean? Like it ain't the same as like right. people and live the energy people. of being there with somebody or all of that. It just is man, it's definitely not the same. When you're there and you can feel the energy, it's but it's dangerous because we 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 contem- we went over this so many times of we're about to do this, we're about to do that, we're about to do this concert, concert, concert. We got one coming up, but it's a virtual concert. Okay. But we 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 didn't really want to do that at first. Tell me uh, tell me about the concert. Like what's gonna what's gonna be the elements of it? Like how's it gonna be more of an experience? Uh, basically, it's just a virtual concert. And then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the songs, you know, and it's me and Lil' Kiki sitting down. And, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I don't know what to expect as a performer because I'm used to performing with a crowd of people, you know. So yeah. now there's not a crowd of people, and I'm just 
performing for a, you know a dot a camera you know it's a little weird but being there with my idol little kiki that definitely changes everything because if it yeah. was just me i don't know but i'm with my idol so shit i'm you know i'm gonna be on 10 so i'm gonna be great <laughs> you know what i'm saying because i can't you know i ain't gonna be looking bad in front of my you know what i'm saying my idol so you know but I mean, I, I, I'm 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 excited to it, but I'm a little nervous as well because I don't, you know, what I'm saying all the way know what to expect. But it's something that we, the in-person concerts is something we put off for a long time because one, I don't want to be a super spreader event. You know what I'm saying? Well, right. Like 10, 50 people get it, and then they go back to their grandma, their mama, and somebody die. Like, I don't want that on me personally. Mm-hmm. Then I don't want to be vilified. Like, I don't want to be turned into a bad guy in public because I did that. You know, you know, most important is I don't want that on my conscience, but I don't want none of that. You know what I'm saying? And, and to me, it ain't worth it. Whatever, because I'm like, what's the most amount of money I can make from doing this in-person concert? What's right. the maximum amount of money? Is it worth the consequences to me? And it's, not- up, it's, it's a net loss. It's a net loss eventually. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to be that because... Per- I've seen a lot of people throwing concerts in, in, in Atlanta. They 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 really wilding out there. Like they, <laughs> shows, concerts, parties, strip clubs is open, all that type of stuff. And now the numbers are already rising. They're only going to rise even more. And at the end of the day, hospital bills is not going to cover all that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like ventilators, all that type of stuff. Like that is expensive, and it just ain't worth it, man. It ain't worth it. So yeah. when it comes to I mean, it's weird, though, because when we talk about these virtual experiences, there's also that opportunity to bring more fans in. Right. Like we've seen like we've seen like the versus stuff like we've seen like Teddy Riley do his live shows and all these type of people. Granted, as a performer, it's probably difficult to not get that initial, um, you know, instant feedback that you used to get from a live show. But in the long run, you could only fit maybe like four thousand, five thousand people in certain places. And here you could, it's, it's limitless. Right. So is, is there, is there that sort of like, you've seen like the growth from a lot of artists and with these versus battles and these live performances and just getting a little bit more creative to like invite more fans in as far as, uh, you know, learning what this new world's going to be about when it comes to uh, performing music. That was part of the drive for us doing this was the, I t- we toured, Seven days a week, 365 yeah. days a year. Yeah. So being that we cannot do that now, you know, we're like, damn. One, we have an urge and desire to connect with people that we used to connect with because we, we have that need. Was, we're going through withdrawal. People mm-hmm. withdraw. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But then at the, other, the other aspect is the growth of our careers or trying to, you know, promote different works and music or just whatever we got going on or wanting to give the fans that experience something that, you know, it's something like Alaska. Okay, I go, I've been to Alaska several times, but it, it can't be more than ten times. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Uh, so this is an opportunity for my fans in Alaska to watch me. My fans internationally to watch me perform. Fans, you know, all across the country in the smaller cities who we tend to go to because I, I enjoy going to these places. These are places where I've you know grown fan bases and got friends and family you know and what i came from as well so i like going to smaller markets a lot of times and just traveling around all around but this gives an opportunity that was the drive in us doing what this was being able to connect with our fans and the all over yeah at one time 
And it seems like these virtual concerts have been getting, uh, there's only a certain type of artist that could like really do these virtual concerts, right? Like if you were one hit wonder, if you got like one song on the radio, like you kind of suffering right now with this quarantine stuff. But what you've noticed with these versus battles and these virtual shows, it's like, if you have a, a catalog, if you have music that has stood the test of time, like, you're going to have new fans, you're going to have old fans, you're going to have all these people coming together, and it almost is like another jump. It's, it's, it's almost like a jump start to the career again because it's like, oh, man, I was watching the Ludacris and Nelly battle. I was like, damn, I forgot how many Ludacris songs I really love. Like, damn, I forgot how many Nelly songs I really love. And, like, you've been out for, God knows, like over 15 years now, you know what I'm saying? So it's like now you're, you're getting an opportunity to not only appease your lifelong fans – but bringing a lot of these new people as well, especially knowing how many artists you've influenced. You know what I'm saying? Like I, being from New York, I know that there was a big time. There was a time where you know ASAP Mob was extremely influenced by Houston culture. Travis Scott, as big as he's gotten, he as global as the sound that he's made, he's always brought it back to Houston and brought it back to Texas. And I feel like guys like yourself, Slim Thug, Mike Jones, Zero, Lil Kiki, Scarface. All these guys, a lot of that isn't possible without y'all. Yeah, it's uh, man, like I said at the beginning, man, it's unbelievable, man, to to be a part of that. Uh, you know, it's something I always, as a fan, knew it could happen. You know what I'm saying? Just because I knew the talent I saw, and I'm like, damn, these people are dope. How mm-hmm. does the whole world not know about this? <laughs> and I always felt in myself, I had the talent, like. I'm clever with words. I got this type of different, you know, uh, skill sets that I could take. But just the, just the reality of it don't happen. There was nobody from my neighborhood that made it in hip hop. So how would I ever think that it could happen to me? Yep. It's the same, the same way I would think <laughs> they tell you, yeah, you could be president one day. But there's never been one millisecond that I actually believed that I had, a, that I would be a president. Maybe I could, but would I? I never believed there's, there's a path I could take in life. If there's a million paths I could take in life, not one of them would lead me to be the president. I never believed that. Right. Same way I never thought I could go to the NBA or the <laughs> NFL. And I don't, you know, I don't want to mean to say that in like in terms of lack of confidence. Maybe it was or the lack of I just didn't think it was a reality. You, you, you gotta see you gotta have certain things happen early in life for you to be like, oh, maybe I could. Oh, okay, yeah. like, you know, the, the dude who ends up going to the NFL doesn't just pick up a football and, oh, my God, I'm fast. It's like yeah, yeah. he's he's running from a dog one day and he's out running the dogs. Like, damn, this motherfucker is fast. Let's probably put a, give him a football and see what he can <laughs> do with that. Motivation. That's what I'm saying. Like, so the, to me, it was never a motivation of I'm doing this because, man, I want to make it as a rapper one day. Yeah. To me, it was always from day one until now. Now, there were times when I was on a major label and I'm, caught up in the opportunity that's in front of me but from the time I first started into the music I'm putting out now it's for the love and the art of it not because oh I gotta do it I got you know it's my dream to be a you know if my dream was not to be a professional rapper my dream was I I mean I don't even know my my dream really was to be a DJ you know I started (laughs) out DJing you know that was that was a career path where I saw Okay, if I do this, 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 and this, I could be a DJ, and I love this. But hip hop was just something that I did even from when I first started with Chameleon there, rapping on the school bus, at the lunch table, mm. at the basketball games, football games, track meets, just freestyling. We all doing it, 
mm-hmm. and me and him being a little bit better than everybody else, and me and him and just continuing to do it because we maybe took it a little more serious than other people. But yeah. it wasn't. It was never. Uh, I'm doing this because I want to be professional at it. One, you know what I'm saying? So it's a little. I, I don't. It's di- it might be different now because there is a path you could take to be professional. But that mindset to me. You could be a professional rapper was not a possibility. Well, Where? it's global now. I mean, it's, yeah, global, yeah, yeah, it's it corporate. It's, 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 you know, the it's an industry. for me was the art and the love for it. That was the motivation. It wasn't the money or to be a professional at it or not. It was always the love. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Paul, let's, let's, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, uh, obviously, with with everything going on in the world, and and obviously the the coronavirus and everything going on, you've been on the front lines of of social injustices, especially when it comes to the the seminal uh, moment of this movement, which was the death of George Floyd, uh, a Houston, Texas um, native. Um, a, a, a sta- a, he was a staple in the hip hop scene in Houston as well. A lot of people knew him. And, um, you know, his, his death absolutely woke up a, a portion of America that's been asleep for a long time. And you being at the front lines of that, wh- whether it's the, the protest, whether it's being at the funeral, whether it's being able to, you know, help galvanize the people of Houston to, to lead these peaceful protests and, and just being on the front lines of everything. Um, what can you tell me about the updates since then. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's, when it first happened, there's cameras everywhere. It's news. It's, it's, it's juicy, but these, these protests are still going on, right? Like these are still happening every single day. What can you tell me from the first day of, of George Floyd's passing to the, to the fallout to now, how has things changed? What have you seen from the front lines of Houston, Texas? And uh, what can we all do to make sure that this doesn't get lost in the headlines of, 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 of coronavirus and sports coming back and all this type of stuff. What can we do to make sure that the focus remains on making sure police and, and the, 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 the entire justice system is reformed somehow? Oh, man. First of all, um, I like the term uh, backline. <laughs> mm. It's not I, I, and not front line just because front line. That's the people who was in the picture. I'm, I kind of like I hate being on the front line where they like, hey, come stand in the front for the picture. Like, nah, nah right. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm in the back. I, I like to, you know, me along with the people I'm down. You know, we like to support the people that's in the front. Right. We here on the call. We at the causes, but you know, uh, man, it's I'm back line. I'm back. Line. <laughs> but, I hear you. I hear you. But I mean, as 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 a face of Houston, but, as yeah, a lot of I mean, it's 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 amazing to see how much has changed, and at the same time, how little. Mm. You know, when they man went on the moon, he said, "Small step for man, a big step for mankind." What's going on now is a big step for man, but a small step for mankind. Right. And that, and human terminology more people are aware because it's in your face for so long so many people chose to be unaware or if they were aware uh, and they were forced to be aware they chose to excuse Mm. uh 
what went on the social injustices and the many of them that there are. Um, but now you, it's so difficult to be unaware. And then the, it's so difficult for it to be excused. And you still hear some people try to excuse this way or that way. Now it's dangerous to try to just, you try to excuse what happened to George Floyd, you might lose your job. Yeah. Well, you will. But that didn't happen before. That was, uh, you know, it was. There was uh, always like, oh, he, he smoked weed. He was high. Or, oh, he was, right. he should have just listened to the cop. Or, oh, there was this. There was always some sort of excuse. Yeah. And this was the first time where I really saw, like, everyone collectively was like, this is wrong. This shouldn't have happened. But when we think of what's happened in terms of the, for mankind, it's been a very small, not even a, st- a scooped. It's been mm. a scooch. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not even. There's not been legislation passed. It's been transferred to Antifa. Yeah. Let's not talk about what happened to George Floyd or what happens to African Americans or people of color or the indigenous community or the trans community or the trans people of color every day in this country. Let's talk about Antifa and the rioters. And let's not talk about the police who are outed as being police, undercover, starting fights, starting riots. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about only one aspect of that's where all the legislation, everything is halted. Individually in certain cities, communities, you've seen, I don't know if you can call it progress, just reactions where they're like, okay, we're going to ban this or ban that. I mean, banning it, is when are you going to ban shooting people? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it's clear as day, as you see with the Karen and Ken. Yeah. You know, I fear for my life. That's an, that's an excuse to kill you. If I publicly mm-hmm. say I fear for my life, now I can shoot you and in court I can defend it because I was defending myself. So that goes from the authority to everyday citizens. It's not just with the police. If me right. and you get into it, and I say, I fear for my life. I fear for my life. And I kill you. It, I'm, not, I'm not going to jail. Right. You know, right. so we can ban chokeholds, but when are we going to ban killing people? Uh, and you, you shouldn't be able to kill someone just because you say you're in fear of your life. Uh, and that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. We've seen, and, you know, we've seen a lot of the protests happen, but as I said, the shift has been from let's talk about the problem Let's talk about solutions to let's blame uh, an organization that's now been deemed a terrorist organization, whereas right now in 2020, the KKK is still not deemed yeah. a terrorist organization. And let's people, create an organization. We're finding people getting hung off of trees and, right. oh, in it's suicide. Like, in my neighborhood, <laughs> walking distance from my house. Uh-huh. Walking distance <laughs> from my house. Two stones throws. Not a stone's throw. But two stones throws uh-huh. from my house, a man was found hung. And they said it was suicide. And case closed. And we don't, went. Don't down. even look into it or none of that. I'm not an expert in suicide, but I, I throughout my whole entire life, I've never had anyone be hung. I'll tell you this much. I'll Anywhere this much. near my personal house, much less is I can't tell you the only time I could think of ever in my lifetime someone was hung was James Byrd Jr. getting dragged from a truck in Jasper, Texas. 
I can't think of another time where someone was hung. One of my friends, Cinco, he committed suicide and hung himself from his refrigerator, which I still don't even know how that's possible. Right. But, I mean, you know, like a lynching, uh, a hanging, or a suicide. Like, the only time you hear, hear some type of hanging is in jail suicide. So when we see things like Sandra Bland, we like, nah, bro. You know, or, or when we hear this and they say, and we're there, and the authorities that be tell us, why y'all here? He wasn't black, he was Mexican. <laughs> we like, nah, bro. Because that don't, you know, you can hang me and say, oh, he was white. Why you, oh, he wasn't black. Or no, you know, but it, it, the, it people that hang, the people that hang people, like, the, the, you know, I don't, I, the education that was given to me through my friends and different organizations such as the Nation of Islam, like, I, I've been taught the, uh, the, how certain these racist organizations like the KKK, how they deem a race war, things that don't even come to my mind. Me, me being uh, married to a black woman, having mixed children. Yeah. It doesn't, it never came to my mind. Now I have, I remember when I was 17 years old, I was on a date with a chick and we ice skating in the Galleria and some white racist dude spit on me and I went down to chase him down. And he ran off like a little punk, but <laughs> yeah. he spit on me because I was with somebody that wasn't white. You know, that, you know, but in, in almost every, any type of, uh, you know, I was bullied as a child. We ain't going to talk about that, but we can't, but, you know, it was all done by white people. The, the evil I always saw was only perpetuated. I feel like, by- yeah, I mean, the, the way I'm seeing it, and, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, man, like, you have always, obviously, have had a love for not just black culture, but black people. You know what I'm saying? Like, and... A lot of times what we're hearing from people of, 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 of note and people who aren't famous is like, yo, I just wish y'all loved black people the way I love black culture. And I feel like the hate and maybe the bullying and some of the stuff that you've probably had to deal with is because of your love for black people and black culture and defending it and being able to be, I, I hate saying the word ally because I feel like everybody says it, but it's like, you're not just an ally, like you're part of the culture. You know what I mean? Like you've contributed to it. You're not just somebody who's, oh, I'm just going to come and, and get hot off of some Houston records and then like go make a rock album or something or go make a, a country album or something, like which a lot of people tend to do. Hip hop is a big business and it's culture. And like, of course, they're going to come take what they want and then be out. But like you are a staple in this. So, you know, I can understand why like if you see a Mexican get hung, it ain't about, oh, why are you upset like that? He's not black. It's like, nah, man, it's, it's right and wrong. Right. And right. when people like yourself are, are, are around people of different cultures and all mixes and races and stuff like that, you see race because you have to understand it. Like the people who say, I don't see race, that's part of the problem. It's like, no, you have to see race because right. this, is, this leads to, to more problems. But on top of that, once you see that, you see right and wrong. Yeah. And if you see a, a brown man hung in a tree and the cops are just like, oh, that's suicide. Like, clearly that's wrong. Yeah. Clearly like, that's wrong. I, I never, like I said, I, I never, like, although the, the type, I, I was bullied. I wasn't, look, my, I was physically bullied. Yeah. Like, tortured. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't waterboarded tortured. I wasn't tortured <laughs> to death, but. <laughs> No, nah, matter of fact, I, I was water. They waterboarded they me. They waterboarded you? Shit. When I was young. God damn. Now, it definitely was because my friends were black 
And it definitely was because of that. Wow. I was singled out because of that. But I never throughout my whole life saw myself as a potential target in a race war. Mm. Until my close friend, brother Derek Muhammad, sat me down and explained to me how and why I'm a target if a potential race war pops off because I'm a threat to the white uh, supremacy infrastructure because mm -hmm. there are a lot of white people who follow me. So I could educate other white people on the plight of the African-American in, in this country or what's going on or what historically has gone on and no, 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 that white bullshit ain't going to fly with me or this type, you know, whatever. You know, also because they look at me at the as a race trader. I'm married mm -hmm. to a black woman. My children are mixed. So there's different aspects. So my children are targets because of that. You know, these are things that I didn't, I never conceived until I had to be almost warned, like, hey, man, look, just be careful. You know, uh, be aware of these things. Mm -hmm. you know, don't hold back, but don't be stupid. Don't be foolish. Right. right. And so when I see somebody hung, this Mexican, I'm not thinking, oh, was he black? Was he Mexican? Was he this? No, I'm not thinking that. Because easily he could have been an ally. Right, it, right. You know, and also where he was hung is right by the hospital. And there is a, a mental almost, uh, like I don't know what it's called, a mental ward or I don't think it's called. A psych ward. ward. Yeah, something, yeah, at the hospital. Yeah. So, and there are a lot of homeless people around there. So, you know, there's a, a sense from, a, you know, the, the sense from authority was this was this. Mm -hmm. He ain't black. Why y'all here? He was Mexican and he was homeless. Why y'all care? Why don't y'all ask the homeless people what happened? They all do this. They all got mental problems. It's just belittled. You mm -hmm. know, the, uh, and to me, I don't think, I don't see that. To me, I see someone hung. Whatever the reason, if someone hung this person and lynched him, that's terrible. Yeah. And I'm going to stand up and fight for that. Now, if some, now I don't know what happened. You know, if he hung himself, that's terrible that he hung himself, that he was so struck or brought on or whatever the word is by all the mental negativity or torment. Yeah. And it's so bad he got to kill himself. That's terrible to me. And it happened two, right in front of my, right by my house. So, right. and, then, and then less than a week later, a young man who was a young black man, he was, in, I believe he was in high school, he was hung. I, the, as well, they say he was, it was a suicide. And apparently there's video, I don't, I don't know. And just out of respect to his family and all of that, I don't want to speak on things that I don't uh, know. I'll, I'll speak on it, man. I don't believe black people hang themselves, man. Like, I, I, I may, that may be an ignorant statement to make. That may be a statement that may get me in trouble. But, like, I see, I, I understand, I could, I could in, in a weird way, I could understand why somebody would take their life. I could understand that they probably thought of it through a long time before they've done it. And hanging yourself is such a violent way to go and such an easy way to be dismissed as suicide that, you know, if somebody wanted to do that and get away with it and they had enough people to do it, I understand why they, and, and why they would go about that way. Now, but the, the, the tree, let me, I just want to point this out while we on this. Uh, when a man was found hanging because I don't know what other way to put it. The man who was found hanging right by my house, the tree 
it didn't go up. It was I don't know the na- name of this tree. It's one of them trees that you see here and where it goes up and sideways. Okay. So okay. it was a big tree, but I'm six feet tall. I was as tall as the branch. Oh wow! So, you know, or actually, I was taller than the branch that he was. So you like, how did he hang himself from that when he taller than the tree or taller than the branch? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then. I didn't see him hanging when he was hanging there, but my friend who did before they took him down, who got the video of it, he said he was found hanging with the rope around under his arms. So I'm wondering, okay, if I hang myself from my neck and I'm standing upright, how does the the rope then go open up and go around my waist to my arms? How does that even happen? But that's, I mean, I don't know that. So then we walk up on it. We feel it. We, I mean, we there, we, you, there's two puddles of blood, huge puddles of blood. Hours after they took him down right underneath where he was. So I'm like, well, like I said, I'm not an expert on suicide and hanging, but if you hanging, how is there two huge puddles of blood underneath of you? I don't think there would be any blood unless there was a blood from the abrasion from the rope. That's what I'm but thinking too. Like I would think, oh, they hung you and they bop, 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 stabbed you and then you you bled out. That's what I would think. Or you know, but it was I'm talking about huge puddles of blood. And when we got there, there was no police tape. No, we didn't see any investigation. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't want to overreact, but I also want to hold people accountable. You know, so we like. Well, then why there ain't no police investigation? And for the longest, we just there. And then all of a sudden, people start showing up because they see the, the post go viral. And then once it's a huge crowd, then, you know, we see some police officers pull up. And then they're like, oh, yeah, it's not a it's not a crime scene. It's a scene of death. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't determined a homicide. It's yet to be determined, but it looks like a suicide. So it's not going to be invented. So it's not a crime scene. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to investigate it as a homicide because usually when you got to invest, investigate those things, you got to find motive. You got to find the murder weapon. And if you don't have either of those things, a lot of times cops have nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, unless there's like, unless there's distinct evidence or right. a, a weapon or a motive or saying, okay, like this person, it, homicide detectives are easily, not easily, but like homicide detectives could find killers because a lot of times there's a trail left. And when there's clues, right? Yeah. Like, and when a gang of people just see, oh, black guy walking, let's get them, gang up on them, beat them up, hang them, and then sprint away. You don't know this person. There's no, con- there's no connection to this guy. You don't work with him. You don't see him. That's not your man's girl. Like, uh, none of that shit. Like, there's no connection to these people. It's literally just because you're a black dude, and we, and we go in and hang some people. It's easy to get away with. Like, you're just going to – they're just going to rule it as a suicide and be like, yeah, like, that's, that's really all they can do. So it's, it's terrible to hear, man, and it's – We're standing – right by the blood and we're like wait a minute should we be are we like trampling on the crime scene this is the crime scene yeah are y'all gonna collect evidence but but, you know i i we do know a few people in law enforcement we reached out to them and we asked what's up and then they investigated because matter of fact our boy troy chief troy finner he's the assistant chief i don't know what is the particular 
uh, accurate uh, rankings, you know, or whatever, but he's the assistant chief. He was like, hey, is this real? And we like, man, shit, we trying to figure out is this real? Wow. But he sent he personally was like, man, I'm sending team investigators out there because this shit ain't happening in our city. Yeah. So he did send it and team investigator. They wrote it off. They investigated. But, you know, when we there, we're like, man, what's, why y'all ain't do this in the first place? But the, they did say that they did it. They did do it. But mm-hmm. after they collected the evidence, they shut it down. But we're like, okay, well, if you collected all the evidence, why didn't you collect that Bible that's open to a verse on Jeremiah right underneath where he was hanging? Wow. You didn't collect that. If you collected all the evidence, why didn't y'all collect that shoe that's right over there? And then when you go collect the shoe, it's a shoe, a phone, and a, a, a pair of headphones, earbuds. So we're like, well, damn, if you collected all the evidence, where did that come from? <laughs> you know, so we, so just when you see a shoddy investigation, yeah. you think it's somebody trying to sweep it under the rug or something, you know, because, of course, if there's a lynching like that going on in the middle of all of this social unrest, that's going to set shit on fire. Of course. So it's just it just strikes me as. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the numbers on black people who are hung by suicide in America year by year by year. It just seems like out of nowhere we got a whole lot. A whole and lot in New York, right here, like right right here in the Heights, in the yeah. Bronx, like everywhere, like Cali. It's and it's always either near a hospital or near a police station, which I'm just like, I ain't no Columbo, but I'm like, you gotta at least do a. And I understand why you wouldn't look forward into it because it's like you don't want to cause more protests, more riots, more all this type of stuff. So I'm thinking if you're a cop, you're probably like, you know what? It's probably best to sweep this under the rug because, you know, people are wilding right now and that's the last thing they can deal with. But it don't make it right. Yeah, you do not make it right. We can't have trust in our system if we don't have accountability. Mm. So we we need the accountability. Now, of course, we we are going to be outraged when the people in authority take accountability for their many misdeeds. Right. Of course, we rightfully so should be outraged, you know, but we can never have reconciliation without the responsibility of saying, I did this. Yeah. Hold yeah yourself the accountable. first step is acknowledgement, man. Right. Like, that's only, re- like, nobody is saying all cops are the, are the worst, but... Yes, all cops are bad if you right. know the stuff is going on and hey, one, hey, you're not acknowledging it and not doing nothing to, to Mr. stop Patterson. it. Mr. Pattern, sin, yeah. <laughs> confession, repentance, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. First, there's the act. Then there's the confession. This mm-hmm. is what I did. I'm admitting to this, to all of it. Not some of it, all of it. Mm-hmm. Then there's repentance of making it right, then there's forgiveness. There's not just, oh, enough time has passed, so forgiveness. Yeah. And that's, and that's the excuse you hear right now that, oh, that happened. That was our ancestors. <laughs> you know, and, and it can't even be proved that my ancestors did that or that it was done to your ancestors. You know, those are like, that's bullshit. It's been that's, bullshit. You can't, you, you can't have atonement until there's accountability and admitting what has been done. And when the account, the accountability doesn't come necessarily now from the authority. I'm not asking, you know, the police chief or whoever to say, Hey, I personally did this. Mm -hmm. I'm expecting whoever is in authority to say, 
we as authority, as a system, have done this. And we are responsible. Although that person holding that seat themselves might not be responsible. As you see a lot of, you know, and you see a lot of black police chiefs around the country. And a lot of times you think, oh, that's just so that if something goes off, we can put them out front and, them out and, and, and calm yeah. things down a little bit. You know, yeah. but so it does, it's not necessarily who is holding that position. It's just, we need the accountability. We need the atonement, you know, we need all the, the atonement and we need the forgiveness all around so that we can have faith and trust in our system. There's no faith and trust because there's no accountability. It's excuses. There's no admitting anything was done. Yeah, the, the worst part about it is instead of taking accountability and being like, you know, we're, we're going to try our best or we're going to admit what we did to, like, the answer is, okay, well, we're, not, we're just not going to do our job. We're just like, all right, y'all figure it out. You know what I mean? Like cops going on strike. That's all you're talking about, defund the police. Defund the police doesn't mean we don't want police. Defund the police means like, yo, all these billions of dollars going into the police force, if you put them into um, impoverished neighborhoods, every nice neighborhood I've went to, ain't a whole lot of crime going over there because they got resources, they got money, they got things that they could... No need to commit crime. Yeah. There's no need to commit crime, you know what I mean? And, and that's, then if I do this, I'm going to lose it all, so why would I do that? Why would you? Exactly. And, 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 and also, I don't mean to disrespect any black police chief out there or belittle and make it be like they didn't earn a position. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we need responsibility, accountability from whoever is at that position, you know what I'm saying? And I personally have never been a part of selecting a police chief. So I don't know <laughs> what goes into that. And I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, you know, to say they didn't earn that. And we do need black police chiefs. We do. We do. We do. Absolutely. So I don't mean to say that, you know what I'm saying? But I we just need, need, we need, matter of fact, we need police chiefs but what we in don't, the neighborhoods that they're from. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you're from Houston. Troy Fenner, my boy, I'm talking about Chief Troy Fenner. He's from Sunnyside, south side of Houston. And he's still, you know, that's why it means so much to him. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree. That's what we need. There's too many, there's too many people in charge of neighborhoods that they don't care for the neighborhood. They're not from there. That's not their people. Like, of course, they're not They're going to give the bare minimum if, if it's not a place that they care about. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's a lot, man. But I mean, thank you for, for using your voice to, you know, spread the message and making sure that this stuff doesn't really just get swept under the rug and, and, you know, we don't just go back to life as usual or the same vicious cycle that's always happened. Um, one, of, one of my favorite songs, and, and we'll, we'll wrap up soon. I know I've had you for a long time, but this is a great combo. Um, I got two more hours, so we good. Ah, perfect, perfect. One of my favorite songs of all time is Drop Slow, where you, yay, GLC, uh, just legends on that. And... Um, I know you heard Kanye said he's he's running for president. Um, don't know how real that is. Don't even know how possible that is. But uh, he's 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 starting to speak more. He's been he's been out and 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 just kind of like he's ramping up again. Like Kanye's going to be back in the public eye, and we'll give credit what credit is due. He did set up a, a college fund for for George Floyd's daughters and Ahmaud Arbery and 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 a lot of people. He's done a lot of good with his money. But I would also just like to get your thoughts on uh, Kanye's quote-unquote presidential bid as, as someone who's done one of his greatest songs with him. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, 
Well, first of all, from what I understand, he's not on the ballot in Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and as well as a few other states, maybe I think they said six other states right yeah. now. That he he won't be able to. It's too late for. I think it'd have to be like a write-in or something like that. Right. But who's so who's I don't. Of? I mean, I, I I mean, I don't even know if I can other than writing in for him now. <laughs> I've you know I grew up with a huge distrust for our government, huge I, from day one. Mm-hmm. I don't know where it came from or how it was instilled in me because I'm debate my mom about this, you know, sometimes, you know what I'm saying? So it didn't come, where did it come from? But I always had a huge <laughs> mistrust in our government. Right. Uh, but, I, you know, and I, I, it wasn't until Obama that I voted. <laughs> same, same. First time I was even allowed to vote, it was for Obama. So I was like, all right, I'm good on this. <laughs> After that, it wasn't until really realizing the power of the local government that where where my vote really really mattered the most mm-hmm. in Houston, we can choose our district attorney. Houston, we can choose our our mayor. You know, of course, you can choose the judges. So right now, if I get in trouble and I go before the judge, not all the judges. Some of them are appointed, but yeah. a lot of them are elected. So that's something to think about. Having gone before a judge, I think how was I treated? How was my case? handled what was the outcome uh my many friends who have gone before many judges how were their cases handled how were they treated what was the outcome and in realizing i personally had the power to put someone else in that position or put them in that position and let them know i put them in that position right uh it just was a awakening experience for me and it was transformative in knowing that i got a I don't care who votes for president. <laughs> vote for a local for a shit show. Yes. Now, yes. your primaries, your mayoral, yeah. governors. Hey, now, looking back at that. it, I, there's no way I could ever vote for Trump, ever, in good conscience, for any reason. I mm. mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe if the alternative was someone worse. They, I don't they, think it'd get any worse than this. <laughs> to me, to me, the, the, to me, the, the but at the same time, you know, my boy Raspy Riles from day one, from day one said, now nah, we need Trump because people are hiding behind Obama being president, saying mm-hmm. that racism doesn't exist. There's no systemic racism. There's no social injustice. We need Trump because it's going to bring it out of everybody and we're going to have to confront it. And he was 100% nailed it right on. Yeah. So now... Four more years of it. Oh my God, shit! <laughs> it's the, it could be no coming back. And you see how, you know, how he's just drudged up the racism and empowered racists to speak their mind and let it be known. Uh, you know, and now we're forced to confront it. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't. Yeah, no. We're 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 in a time of 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 life that has we have never. Ever and and what we'll get to Kanye, we'll get to Kanye, but even like as as bad as it has been, it's never been this much in front of your face because of technology, because of TV, because of media. Like even back then, whether it's the 70s, 80s, 60s, if our presidents were as bad or as worse as Trump, we wouldn't know for weeks or months because right. all we had was newspapers and and maybe 
the, the 10 o'clock news. You know what I'm saying? Like now, we know, 20 years later when the documentary comes out. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Like, we'll we'll see like the, some, some file footage from some old gray. Yeah, like, like did everybody know JFK was knocking down Maryland? Exactly. <laughs> everybody know now. You know, like, damn. Did everybody know this is that president? You know, without, you know, I don't know. Um, now we know every tweet, every thought, every comment, every press conference, everything. We know in the blink of an eye. So now, yeah, I mean, dog, you, you nailed it, man. Like, we're at a point where we can't hide from what this country was built off of, right? Like, we can't hide from the country's original sin, you know what I mean, and how – it never really went away. It just got remixed over and over and over until it kind of flew under the radar. And this dude becoming president has brought it out to life, right? right. Now, um, we were talking about Kanye before, and I doubt he's, you know, Grant, I'm sure he's probably using this to promote another album or, or sell some kicks or, or or something, you know what I mean? But, you know, you, just that's because... Why I, that's why I got to be careful what I say because I don't want to be uninvited <laughs> Listen, when we get back, when, no, we, get back no, to, when we get back to normal, I mean, like, yeah. you're gonna say, Oh, yeah, what the all that shit you were talking you're about? Talking about- <laughs> presidential run, I was gonna ask you to get on my album. Now, I ain't putting you on, I ain't putting Drive Slow on the greatest hits no more. Uh, <laughs> now, nah, man, I mean, I'm gonna be straight up when November come around. I honestly don't think his name will be on the ballot, right? Now, in theory. And just, just in theory, you know, not not Trump, Biden, oh, he's going to take away votes from Biden, or this or that, you know, just in theory, I think it would be dope to have Kanye as a president. Really? But okay. I don't know any of his policies. I don't know where he stands on issues. I don't know who, how educated he is on certain issues. All I know is track records on headlines and interviews, uh-huh. you know, so... When it comes to his track record, I look at the headlines. A slavery was a choice. You know, he went back and defended, you know, he explained a little more in depth. This is what he meant. A lot of it was taken out of context. Mm-hmm. But just, some, you know, some of the, you know, him wearing a Make America Great Again hat, you know, him going to meet with Trump, riding his nuts. Yeah, a lot yeah. of that, and now it's, oh, yeah, he did that so they can get old girl out of jail. It's easy to say now. Nah, I don't know if that was true at the time, though. Yeah, I feel like he could have got that done regardless. <laughs> you know? But I mean, just also mean me not wanting to judge because I haven't had any conversation with him about any of that. Mm-hmm. So all I know is the headline. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard for me to really judge him based off of the headline. But the headlines is pretty bold. You know what I'm saying? Extreme. I mean, just I mean, just knowing him. Uh, you know, just. From the, from what I do know of him from in the past, or my times with him in the past, I mean, the last time I even seen or spoke or had any conversation with him or been around him was years ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what he got going on or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, from, from my relationship with him in the past, it's all positive. And I think he would be a dope president. But, you know, I see all the people, now's not the time, you know, all we got, you see, you know, all this, I mean... I, I mean, now know. it's 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 a dangerous time. It's a all dangerous all I time because theorize we can't we can't afford another four years of, yeah, of, of yeah. Trump. 
and I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what who his cabinet members would be if, if Kanye was president. <laughs> would you, would you be on his cabinet? Would you be on his, uh, his secretary of, of of motor vehicles or something like that? <laughs> would you? <be>? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, or, or maybe maybe a secretary of of agriculture or something. Or <laughs> well, I'll be the new the new drug enforcement. Everybody getting out of jail. Everybody out. Everybody out. Anybody no, got no, caught no. with weed? No, no. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough because I see. I mean, even with Trump, I, I see the the. How can you help? You know, be, if you're not a part of the conversation, how can you contribute? You know, you want to contribute. So that right. you'd be a part of the conversation, right? Now, me, that's a. I don't know if I would be qualified to be secretary of anything, so <laughs> I, I probably would have to decline. Yeah, out of fear for, I would likely fuck something up, <laughs> and I don't want that being on me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, damn, I fucked up how I fucked the whole country up, but you know, or you know, I don't man. But I mean, uh, shit, it's a man. I, like even with Trump, when you see people like, if you see somebody, you know, Ben Carson, I mean, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Not all skin folk is kin folk, man. Like I see Ben Carson, I'm just like, if this dude ran, I still would have. Like if you if he was the presidential nomination, I'd be like, yeah, nah. It, it would depend on who he was going against. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I still would have. I, I can only recommend when we voting. You know, you always vote for the lesser of the evils. Yeah. It's never who is the perfect candidate. It's who's the lesser of the evils. And who speaks to your, speaks to your, 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 your right, right, right. specific needs. Like, that's why you mentioned, you nailed it in the beginning, man. Local government and local voting, like, that is what makes the difference. Like, the only reason why these people are at the top of the ballots as president, okay. Democratic or Republican, because they have people that have voted them in that speak to the needs of those people that voted right. them in under them. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's a whole ladder of shit. And, I, I, you know. With Trump, I think about this, though. I really think about where we're at as American society, as uh-huh. a, just overall. Are we past it? Have we confronted it? Or do we need four more years to really go there? Uh, I don't want four more years of it. I didn't want four more years of this in the first place. And I debated, I used to debate Raspy all the time. Like, nah, bro, we don't need no Trump. I'll I'll tell you this. To me, it seems like there has been... I don't. I can't tell you the last one-term president, right? Like every president. I think George Bush because he's from Texas. That's how I know. That's there the only one I know because he's from Texas. George Bush Senior, the last one-term president yeah. of, of my lifetime, the only one-term president of my lifetime. I think it would send a strong message that we've had enough that things have changed. If he was the next one-term president, where we like we had a choice to, to say, "Oh, if we he, like where the country's going." If he gets voted in again, of course we're like. What the fuck? How did that? We really are a racist country. That is, yeah. Oh my god, that, that's the funniest thing to me. I love when people see Trump and see, oh my god, how did he win? We're not these people. I'm like, yeah, you are. Have you seen? Have you seen America? Have you seen how this country was made? And then seeing a lot of the Karens be Democrats who voted for Hillary. Yep. That yep. that right there is is uh, powerful. Just is seeing it when we look at ourselves. Our perspective of who we are, no one admits their races. No one. Even I mean, I don't I don't know no KKK people or people like that, but when you hear them talk on the documentaries and sh- when I watch on Netflix, they not 
they don't think they're racist. They no. think they like when you when we watched the video that happened in Missouri when the black man was almost lynched. They were calling Black Lives Matter the terrorist organization. Yeah. Yeah, when you yeah. see what happened in Gettysburg this weekend on July 4th, they will call them Black Lives Matter the terrorist organization. So they don't think, from their perspective, they're not racist. So no one wants to think or admit, yeah, I'm racist. Everybody thinks they're the good guy. Right. Everybody thinks whatever cause they want to fight and die for is a noble cause. Right. And if you're the we enemy... We gotta look at ourselves in the mirror to really say it. Man, you know, and that's why we, we see a lot of these Karens and Kings, they voted, not all, you know, and maybe not even most, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of them mm-hmm. who voted for Hillary. Not like any- the only way is to, is to let people know that, and, and the reason why these protests have been working, even if they're not being televised every day, even if people have gone back to the regular lives, is that you got to make people uncomfortable. You have right. to let people know like, yo, this ain't right. You want some change? This is what we got to do. This ain't right. This ain't right. And right. if you're not doing that, if, if you're going to get four more years of comfort, and you don't want that, if you get four more years of comfort, that means nothing's changed, everything's cool. It's either going to stay the same or get way, way worse. If, this, if these last couple of weeks and months that people hate driving to work or, or, or hate that we're, we can't even go to work because – we have a president who didn't act or early enough on, on this entire disease or, or the reason why, like, black people are still pissed the fuck off because of these cops that haven't been arrested or haven't been tried or any of this type of stuff. If you want any of that stuff to change, it's got to start from the top down. Change right. always starts right. from the top down. And and people think they, would, they, they go to one protest, oh, I did my part. It's over. Racism <laughs> is over. And people also say, why did y'all block the freeway down? Why did y'all do that? Y'all ain't gonna solve nothing. Yeah, but it's when you, it's the civil discourse. Yeah, it's the when you look at the history, you got to get uncomfortable. How did the civil rights movement come about? It was from months of continuous sit-ins and protests, mm-hmm. so that there could not be business at the diners and other places because we're gonna block it. We're gonna block the roads so that the buses can't travel. We're going to refuse to ride on buses. And, you know, all, these, all of the many things they did, not in just one city, but nationwide. Mm. It went on day after day after day after day after day. You can't go to one protest and say, I did my part is over. You know what I'm saying? And, and yeah, true enough, we do a slab ride for justice. We got 50 slabs or 100 slabs riding around 610 with police escorts. Mm. Okay. Yeah, true. Nothing was changed from that. But the thought is, one, we have police officials who are high up, as top as they go, mm-hmm. out there with us saying, we hear you, we're riding with you. Now, whether or not they truly believe that or the culture within the department is changing, I can't speak to. But it, it does, to me, it means something that they're that they down to ride out there with us and block traffic for us. For the cause, because they see the importance of us coming together. And those, like- and those public displays mean something because those public displays are verbal contracts. Those are verbal and emotional contracts of people saying like, yo, we're with you and we believe you on this. So right. now you can't go back to it. If you right. know why we're out here protesting, if you know why we're out here doing this, and then you go back and do the same thing 
that got us protesting in the first place, it's going to be way worse because you're basically saying, we don't hear you. We don't know where you're coming from. So now we got to break more stuff. Now we got to protest longer. Now we got to make you more uncomfortable. You know, so I understand like public displays and, and those and those, you know, anything that is is meant to create any sort of, of, of noise or any sort of, of, of distraction away from anything, not distraction, but anything that could bring attention to the cause. If you're not doing that, then, you know, we'll, we'll be in this endless cycle for as long as possible. And I'm sure cops don't want to be in this endless cycle. I'm sure we want to live in, in a community that's safe and, 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 you know, together and uh, if, if, if it doesn't work now and if people haven't woken up after these past couple of months, man, I really do. I really do fear for the future, bro. I really do. If they haven't gotten it by now, it's been a little discouraging seeing uh, the, the success of the, of the divisiveness. Yeah. It's also been encouraging seeing the exposure of it. Like we know, cause it's being called out, but Man, the black versus brown, man, it's man, it's heartbreaking when I see this. It's easy. Uh, it's so we're, we're so easily we're so easily divided. You know what I mean? Like one thing could go from oh, we're we're fighting. We went from let's make sure police are held accountable for killing people, men, women, black, white, anybody unjustly. Let's make sure that those people are held accountable to the court of law, just like we are. Like, just like if I go and shoot and kill somebody, the difference between that's what I hate those black. Well, what about black on black crime? Like, yo, if I go and shoot somebody that looks like me, I'm going to jail for a right. long time. These people are getting paid vacations, basically. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, if you're not doing that, if we're not getting to the point where, where that's changing. Now it's like, oh, what about now? It's all. I feel like every day I look on social media, I look on Twitter, I look on Instagram. There's something else that has completely got, like I don't give a fuck about changing blackface episodes of the Golden Girls. I don't give a fuck about painting Black Lives Matter on the NBA court. Like it's nice. I I I, I hear you. I respect it. But all of these measures being taken and, and not the one thing that we've asked for that's very specific. Very specific. Like, okay, how can we change this? Well, put more money into resources in neighborhoods so people don't have to commit crime. It's worked in literally every other country, every city. I live in New Jersey. Camden, New Jersey was one of the worst, worst neighborhoods in the world. Not just America, in the world. It was the murder capital. Right next, it was, it was Camden, New Jersey, and New Orleans, Louisiana, battle off for the murder capital every single year. Camden defunded their police. They restructured it. There was a couple of months of, of, of rough sledding, which was, you know, obvious to, to happen. But since then, they've shown that, like, the neighborhoods have gotten better. They have seen improvement. They've seen that the people that are taking care of that city are the people that live there and care about it. And, you know, they see it as how bad at, that it's gotten. And that's one example, and I'm sure there's plenty more examples out there, but you can't just sit there and say, like, it doesn't work, that there's, we, we don't know what we're asking for. It's like, it's, a, it's extremely simple. It's extremely if, simple. If you're, if, okay, let's just say, you know, someone's a part of the, uh, they're benefiting from 
the white supremacist power structure of the world, right? Yeah. If we're benefiting from that, they don't want to end it mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, especially the high up multi-billionaire, trillionaire powers that be, those type of people that are extremely benefit. So what is simpler? Uh, what is a simpler solution from them that will appease the crowd? Mm. Let's paint Black Lives Matter everywhere and donate to Black Lives Matter. Let's not, that that definitely is a, oh, just, man, just think about how a few, a year ago, a, a, a few months ago, how Black Lives Matter was almost deemed a terrorist organization. It was, it was a controversial statement. Right, you right. You couldn't even say that. They had to, they had to get the, the, the Super Bowl MVP and all the NFL players just to get them like, yo, you have to say Black Lives Matter. And then right. they finally said it after right. everything that they've already been through. So it, it's like... Where we are now is it's painted on streets in a lot of cities. Yeah. It's, you know, it's every company is saying it is Blackout Tuesday is... Okay, the NBA is letting you put whatever calls on your jersey on the back or whatever, or we're gonna put it on the court, or all of these things. None of those things I think are bad things. I just don't think any of those things are solutions to the problem. And I don't think contributing money to Black Lives Matter, especially if it's a foundation that's not even associated with the movement. Right. I don't think that is going to be the uh, uh, helping. What's going on? Is what's going on is continuing to go on. People want to do what they can right. to calm Listen, people we down. We need legislation. We need, yeah. we need. First of all, we need legislation. Yes. Now, I don't know exactly what the legislation is. I'm not a legislator, mm-hmm. but I know we need laws. I know that police should not be allowed to kill other people just because they say they're in fear of their life. Right. I know that. There's too, I, many, I there's too many loopholes laws, those stand your ground laws, those uh, they feel, you know, they're, they're on the job or some shit like that. Like there's too many loopholes to which cops can get away with killing you. Yeah. And those need to be repealed and changed. And on top of that, there needs to be new rules put in and new laws put in to make sure that, that even on top of that, after that legislation is done, you got to train new cops. Right, you right. can't just have like all, you just can't throw people out there after three months of training and be like, here's a gun, go protect the city. Right, look, look, every, every single person should not be a priest. Right. Call right. Every single person should not be a teacher. I've had some horrible teachers, mm-hmm. I, you know, and I've had some great ones. My kids have seen some pretty bad ones. I ain't going to say they were horrible, but they had some really good ones too. Man, right. everybody should not be a teacher. Everybody should not be a singer. You, if you don't have a voice, you shouldn't be a singer because <laughs> you got a good haircut. Exactly. Exactly. That's not the same skill set. Now, everybody shouldn't be a police officer. It's not a it, man. Look, and it, the it's toughest a it's, issue. It's that, funny. It's funny to me because it feels like the toughest guys I knew in high school, or the guys I could really fight, or the guys that really stood up for something, never turned out to be cops. Right, who, who turned out to be cops? The kids. It was always the guys got picked bullies. on. It was right. always those bullies and losers. Like now they got a little power. Like right. they don't know how to handle that. They don't know how to handle being an authority figure. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it's like that doesn't doesn't make you a good leader. It doesn't. The, the social problems are just the societal problems we have. It's so multifaceted, mm. and that's the strategy to keep it going. That's the strategy to continue the cycle. It's multifaceted. So every time we're at this, 
before we get to address it, boom, it turns, and now we're talking about something else. So mm-hmm. right while there's a social unrest behind Big Floyd, George Floyd being killed, boom, it turns to Antifa mm-hmm. and riots. And then right when that's going on, Antifa and riots, boom, it's Vanessa Ginn and the military mm-hmm. and black versus brown. And it's, uh, oh, we was out there with y'all. Why y'all ain't out there with us? Then it's, uh, oh, well, you know, she ain't, she ain't black. She's Mexican. And some of those saying that are bots yeah. saying that intentionally to provoke the racism. It's not an actual black person saying that or a Mexican person saying that. It's a bot saying that or a troll white person saying that. Intentionally stroking Intentionally, those players, man. Right, exactly. So, I mean, just to see it in right when all this is going on, boom. Okay, Vanessa again. Guess what? A killer was black. So then it's a. Uh, it just stokes the black versus brown even more. Now I, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that man. He wasn't. He was man. He wasn't black. They killed him as a scapegoat. Some something else happened, and it's yeah. a huge conspiracy. But my mind got to think that that could be a possibility. We don't have a history of trust and righteousness in our authority, or. The military power structure, man, look, I got number of utmost respect. I got a lot of family who's been military in many wars in this country, man. So I can't speak to that. I'm not in, I'm not a part of the military. I just know it's a fact they have their own criminal justice system. Yeah. They, they, they answer have their own to their code. own. Yeah. They don't answer to the same as me and you, unless you was in the military or you in the military and you just nah, never they don't right, <laughs> right. So I don't, I mean, it's, it's, I only say with respect that when I'm trying to call out what's happening, all I'm doing is trying to speak up for the victim. So I'm not trying to say it's a huge conspiracy. I'm just saying it was damn. If it were, if it would have been a, a, a white military officer who was harassing her and killed her, there definitely would have been, I think, a huger sense of unity of saying, hey, look, this is, see, this is going on in the, in the military as well. But because he was black, there was a sense of Okay, well, that's not our fight. That's her. That's right, fight. right. And I disagree completely. If she was killed by, she was a bro. Vanessa Guillen was an American hero if there ever was one, bro. Mm-hmm. Her parents came here from another country to make a better life for their children and their family, if I'm not mistaken. And she went to be in the military to protect and serve her community and her country to serve her country. She was killed. In action, not in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran, she was killed in action by her. By it wasn't friendly fire, but yeah. it was by a soldier who was her superior. This is terrible. Then you see that she's not the only one. There's been if you look up the hashtag I am Vanessa again, you see the many other people who were sexually assaulted and harassed by their superior officers, and they were forced. If you complain you're forced to complain to your superior officer. So -hmm. you're complaining to the same person who sexually assaulted you. So how does that even make sense? There's no escape. Look up the hashtag, I am Vanessa again, you'll see that she is, it's not an isolated incident. She's not the only person who was killed based off of something due to sexual assault. Just in the same, man, the same Fort Hood where I've been to many times. They supported me throughout my career many times. I performed there. I got plenty of friends from Colleen. And I've got family members who were stationed there in Fort Hood. So mm-hmm. it's, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. 
Well, just a year or two ago, they had a whole prostitution ring that was uncovered. Jeez. And who was in charge of the prostitution ring? The superior. The was in charge of sharp sexual harassment, assault, whatever the program. So it's like, man, you know, it's a, it's definitely a problem there. It's a and systemic I, problem, man. It's a, it's a system put in place yeah. so these people can remain in power and not have to answer to anybody but right. their own. Right, and that's know? that's how that's part of the multifaceted system of how some of these things. When will it ever be addressed? Mm. Uh, because right when we're about to address it, boom, it's a new new problem. It's a new thing. It's new headlines. It gets new attention. It gets new energy. And then boom, something new. And then boom, something new. And then boom, something you know. And then uh, you know it's. And it's, then it's, it's the Confederate flag. And it's a... I mean, it never ends, man. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. You know, I, I don't... I mean, to me, the Confederate flag thing is like... To me, it's like... That's like there being neo-Nazis in Germany. And Germany as a country and society honoring and preserving <laughs> Nazi heritage. <laughs> right. Like, right. To me, that's what it is. Nah. That don't make no sense. Like it's like y'all are the y'all didn't you're you're preserving a legacy of one losers and two like the only the only reason you have the right well had the right to even fly that flag freely as free speech or whatever is because y'all lost. <laughs> it's because the United States won and and fought you know, for that right for you to say or, or express yourself however way you want to. And it's, I'll never understand the whole Confederate flag thing, man. I mean, I understand what it, I mean, I know what it means, but I'll never understand why people go so hard for it while living in, man, I've, in, in America. I've had to debate with several people as well. I've, maybe it comes to how I was raised. Mm. Now, my grandfather, my grandmother, well, the only family I have, they're both passed away at this time. Right. My grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, and my sister. I, I have no other family. You know, I have a biological father, but I'm not, he's a child molester. I haven't seen him since I was five years old. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, but my family is myself, my sister, my mama, and it was my grandma and grandpa. Like I said, they both passed away. Right. Now, like I say, it's how I was raised. They was from North Carolina. My mama was born in El Paso, Texas. They moved to Austin. My grandfather was in the military. He served. He taught me acceptance and love from day one. He taught me bigotry was, he, he told me all the time, yeah, I'm a racist. I'm, against, I'm racist against bigots. Right. So it was, right, right. to me, that's what, what he was. You know, he taught me all the time, accepting of other cultures. All his friends were black. I never, I never knew or realized that we were white. Until other white people told me, hey, why are you doing that? You white. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what do you mean? I'm doing what my friends are doing. What are you mm -hmm. talking about? You know, but it was just what, how I was raised. So right. I was taught to have a great sense of Texas pride. Now, no part of me having Texas pride was ever attached to slavery or any of those type of things. But even up until now, it's tattooed on me. The Texas flag is associated in a lot of things. I never at any point associated the Texas flag with slavery. Mm -hmm. But if the Texas flag was, or someone said, or came to me and told me, hey, well, you know, the Texas flag really was 
a symbol of slavery and get rid of it. Then what do you? I'd be like, I get my tattoo covered up. Fuck that flag. I'd be burning that flag. You mm-hmm. know because it, what it represented, what it means. Now, the Confederate flag has always been a symbol of slavery, and it gets coded in these dog whistle terminologies. You know, the South or other type of things, the Southern pride, Southern heritage. But their catchphrase is the South will rise again. What does that mean? What are you saying when you say that? The South will rise again from what? You don't don't say, (laughs) the winner doesn't say that. Right. (laughs) uh, Unless you're saying, we're going to repeat. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) You didn't say that. They're saying, hey, we're coming back, y'all. Hold on, we're coming back. But like I said, how I was raised, I was taught love. So I, I don't know what it's like to be taught hate. Because all I know was how I was taught love. Mm-hmm. I can only try to interpret through people I might have seen or went to school with here and there or the people that bullied me or try to get in depth to them mental thinking or whatever or whatever. But like I say, that flag, man, I don't know how you could – how can it be honored? I don't, you know, I don't. How, how can we – it's not. It's not attached to me. To me, the only thing it's attached to is hate. Why, why would or should it be honored? It's hate. It was, a, it's hate. It was the losing aspect of the war. They were only there to preserve slavery. Right. Nobody. Nobody wants to watch in general. Or it's coded. It was coded. It's to preserve the economy. But the economy was free labor. Yes. <laughs> the only reason why you had money was because you had black people doing. You're farming, raising your kids, doing all that type of stuff. That's where your economy was. That's where the country was built off. And I don't get how people think that, oh, just because somebody was, okay, at a time where not one black person ever got to vote. Yeah. A woman was not allowed to vote. Uh, If you were gay, they killed you. Uh, So, and you definitely couldn't vote. Uh, Mm -hmm. Or any of these type of, who was voting? All white men. Period. Hispanics weren't allowed to vote. Indigenous weren't allowed to vote. Mm-hmm. And even then, only certain white men were allowed to vote. If you was from certain white countries, you were seen as not allowed to vote as well. Or if you were Jewish, Italian, German, right. you were seen as low class. So why is it that the people of that chose a person of that to become a leader or a president and we continue to preserve them and they get a pass just because they were voted in by other like-minded individuals. So I don't get the argument that Thomas Jefferson who owned 600 slaves or, 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 <laughs> or Robert E. Lee or like any of these people with these yeah, statues. Right. You know what I mean? Take all, take all them statues down, bro. <laughs> like, not, yeah. You're not even celebrating nothing worth celebrating about. Yes. Like that's the thing that I don't understand. Like, what do you got to do? There's so many more people worthy that have come from your state or city or town worthy of a statue than the, your losers. Right. Like, right. Uh, and, and, and you would know you're not celebrating their losers. Yeah. You're celebrating and you're commemorating the fact that, like, this city that was built was built off the backs of slaves. And this is the leader of these guys. This is the guy who owned them and ran them. So, of course, they're going to preserve that legacy. It's disgusting to me. I hope that you know, the world is, is starting to see that everything that has been happening, like it, 
we weren't we weren't bullshitting you. We weren't just right. saying these things for years and years because it was good for our health. Like now, people actually see it and know it. And now, right. if we, after this, if we go back to the same old shit, that's when I get really worried about a race war. Yeah. That's when I'm like, all right, there, you have no excuse. You know, you know exactly what the fuck we're fighting for. Why we're angry. Why this has happened. Why there's no changes. Right. And if you're not changing it by then, those arguments that too that. Oh, times were different then, and times were different then. Times, a lot of, they really haven't changed too much. No. laws have changed, but the systemic problems have deepened, and the effects have worsened because it's circulated. It's, uh, you know, recirculated throughout, and it's perpetuated itself. Yeah, 13th Amendment, man. 13th Amendment, look that shit up. Yes, man. Oh, my God. Slavery did not go away. It just got rebranded. And like, America's, like, America's good for a rebrand, man. No, yep. I go, bro. Rebrand and reboot. Yep. <laughs> Yo, Paul Wall, do you do you have a glass of water on you or anything or anything to drink next to you? Man, I got some of my my boy 50 Cent sent me some uh, his cognac. Oh, where he got the breast? <laughs> pour, pour, that, pour that in the cup, man. Pour that somewhere because I, I want to give you a quick toast before we get out of there, brother. Hey, man, let me pop this thing over. Yeah, pop, pop that thing over. Shout out to 50, man. You, uh, you, you, uh... Give me some more, man, now that I'm drinking this one. <laughs> yeah, we need a... Hey, hey, man, I know you need a... Uh, you got the Truly. We yes, need a... Sir. We need a cognac sponsor, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Give him a We're going to send this clip to 50 right afterwards. We're going to make sure he posts that joint. But Paul Wall, man, thank you for coming yeah. through to say less. This is a toast to you. As always, man, shout out to Truly Hard Seltzer, the people's champ, Houston, Texas legend, king of the slab, one of the kings of the slab, all around good man, good dude. Thank you so much for coming through the podcast, man. You're, you're a fantastic human being at the end of all that. At the end of all the great stuff you've accomplished in your career, at the end of the day, you're just a fantastic human being, and I really do appreciate you coming through the show, man. Thank you so much. Thank <coughs> you, bro. Cheers up. Yes, sir. Mm. Ah, all right, that was good. Maybe I should have put it in glass because I think I drove too much. <laughs> okay. I'm not a big drinker. It's all good. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. It's terrible for you. We're hey good. man, thank you for letting me come on, man. Share my perspective. You know what I'm saying? Best foot forward and speak whatever my truth is or my knowledge, and not pull the wool over somebody's eyes or sell a wolf ticket or. Even half step when it comes to my own self, just knowing that I'm not perfect. You know what I'm saying? I ain't never try to, you know what I'm saying, just fake my own funk, you know, just try to always keep it real with whatever I'm doing and keep it 100% thorough, you know what I'm saying? So I appreciate you allowing me just to, you know, share my perspective, you know, whatever, wherever it is, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate you letting me, me share it on here with you. Man, Paul, it means it means the world to me that you, you came and, and you were so open and honest and, and said what was truly on your heart, man. So you obviously... Whenever you're down to come back, we will we'll do this again, and we'll, we'll shoot the shit, man. This is this is very rewarding, bro. I really do appreciate this, man. Thank you yeah, so much. I'm definitely down. Whenever we always got as long as shit, as long as we need. I yes, still sir. I still got another hour, so we'll see. <laughs> you know what? Let's save it, and then in the, in the, yeah. next, in the next couple of weeks or something, I'm gonna hit you up like, yo, we got we got to run it back. Let's run it back, watch uh, Thank you so much. I'm gonna catch you later. Be safe. H-Town represent as always, bro. Take it easy, brother. All right, man. Peace. Yes, sir.